Hey everyone, this is Sarah from The Journey and welcome to another Ask the Expert special. Now I think there's pretty much one universal certainty when it comes to parents-to-be and existing parents and that is the fact that sleep is going to be pretty much top of mind. Whether that is being concerned about the lack of sleep coming or the fact that you're not getting enough sleep as it is, it's pretty much one of the top concerns out there. Now here at The Journey, we're also really passionate about prioritizing sleep and looking at the impact that really taking care of your sleep and and promoting it can have on your health. And that's everything from neurodevelopment to hormonal balance and even fertility, plus immunity, of course. But the key thing is, as anything, how do you actually apply it? And especially if you're having troubles. So we're really lucky to be joined today by Rosie Davidson, Now, she is the founder and lead sleep consultant for Just Chill Baby Sleep. And this is a really interesting um, brand, and she has a really interesting approach. She actually steers away from some of the very extreme rigid approaches, adopting a much more holistic approach backed by experts in science, which is obviously something we're really big into. So whether or not you're an adult and you're thinking about your fertility and your health, or you are about to be a parent and you're thinking about how on earth you're going to get your new baby to sleep, or you have a baby and toddler who are having maybe some issues, we're going to go through some of the key things that Rosie comes up with and and faces, some of the key challenges, and really how to approach this. So really hope you enjoy. One quick little caveat, unfortunately, Corona times (laughs) means we have not been able to record in a normal way. So I apologise for some of the sound quality issues, but we hope that the content is interesting enough that you can look through it. So without further ado, over to Rosie. Hi, Rosie. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello, and thank you very much for having me. Well, it is a great pleasure because, um, as we've discussed, I am hugely passionate about the science of better sleep, not only for small people, but also for adults as well. And when it comes to fertility, and I think that someone like you is desperately needed. So perhaps we could start off with just a little bit about you. And why don't you tell us um, about how you got into doing what you're doing from the beginning, why it became your passion and and how it all came about? Sure. So um, I have two children of my own, um, lovely Daisy, who's seven, and Lola, who's three. Now, when Daisy was born, I thought I had I was thoroughly prepared. Um, I thought, you know, I've read all the books. I've done all the research. I know exactly what I'm going to do. Everything's going to be brilliant. She was born and I had the shock of my life. Um, I, I, the sleep deprivation was just out this world. Um, obviously, in the early days, you know, you're feeding regularly and it's very, very normal. But we came out of that stage. She still wasn't sleeping. And I really hit a brick wall with it. And I just thought this is just unsustainable. I can't do this anymore. Um, so we're very lucky we've got some doctors in our family. We've also obviously got access to the normal things like health visitor. And I spoke to a number of different professionals and got bits of advice. Um, and then I got the help of a lovely nanny um, who gave me a routine for Daisy. Now, with all of these things together, I worked out a method and we got her sleeping. And it was like a light bulb you know came on and I thought oh my gosh all these things I've been doing to help her sleep haven't been helping her they've actually been hindering her um but I didn't really know what I was doing so I came up with this 
this technique, this this theory, um, and went forward with it. Lots of our friends and family started having babies, and I was kind of helping them unofficially. Um, and then um, I wanted to move away from my office job, and I was teaching. I started teaching baby massage, so I had a business doing that, which also it goes really nicely with sleep, actually, because um, there's evidence about that helping sleep as well. Um, but we always got talking about sleep in our classes. Um, so you normally have a chat at the end, and all the mums were always asking me about sleep, and I realised I was giving out all this sleep advice. So I decided to get a qualification. I did that, and then Just Chill Baby Sleep was born. Um, and I have managed to build a large following on social media um, and online resources. And I'm really, really keen to have information available out there to empower parents to sort sleep out themselves, kind of like I did in the beginning. Um, lots of people need someone to hold their hand, and that's totally normal. And that's why we have our one-to-one services. But I also want sleep information out there because the, the sleep world, the parenting world is muddied with so many different opinions. And I know this kind of goes along with, with how you feel with the journey. Very There's, much so, yeah. Cutting through all the opinions. The internet is amazing. Social media is amazing. We're able to connect, we're able to find information. But how do we know which information is right? And with sleep, it's such an emotive, um, divisive topic in the parenting world. So I like to get, I think that I give a real balanced view of sleep. um, And I kind of meet somewhere in the middle. um, Whereas lots of things you can read out there are really quite extreme. So yeah, sorry, that was a really long-winded explanation no, of how I started. That was that's really, really interesting. And I mean, I think you have touched on something that every parent um feels at some point, which is the absolute kind of despair you can feel yes, when you're going exactly. through a period of sleep deprivation. I always like remember you know, that they used um, sleep deprivation as a method of torture at Guantanamo Bay. Yes. Any parent knows because it makes you feel crazy and it has all, and it makes you less tolerant. It makes you more reactive. Then you beat yourself up for not being quote unquote a good parent. It is an absolute utter nightmare. Um, And I think there is no kind of parent out there who hasn't at some point just felt utterly desperate. So I think what you're doing is, is phenomenal obviously as you say I couldn't agree more with the uh, trouble with the internet is it, there's so much good stuff but there's so much noise and it's so difficult which is why we love so much what you're doing um in terms of having you know evidence and in you really do take a much more balanced view as well so you, yeah you mentioned um that you know you've got this kind of unique technique um, yeah could you talk to us just a little bit about you know how that kind of developed in a bit more detail because specifically you said you were doing some things that um were inadvertently hurting your daughter kind of yes, get to sleep, yeah. which is such a common thing you know when we're first-time yeah. parents we all make mistakes and it's a learning curve yeah. but can you talk about some of the things that you personally were doing and some of your kind of early learnings and some of the sure. things you look back on and you're like oh my god I can't believe I was doing that yeah absolutely so when we're looking at sleep 
I always look at a number of things and there's no there's no secret to this really and this is the thing there's no kind of magic pill or something that I have that no one else has to tell you but for me it's putting things together looking at the whole picture so with my daughter specifically um I her routine I thought I had a great routine because I'd been looking at uh, various different resources books I don't know where I was getting it all from at the time. I can't remember. But we created this routine. But actually, what I was doing, I was trying to force her to nap when she wasn't actually ready. Um, she wasn't able to settle herself at all. She was utterly reliant on me. So that either meant rocking her or feeding her to sleep. Now, there's nothing wrong with either of those things if they are working for you. But they certainly weren't working for us. So, um I would do this. Um, I'd be trying to force her to nap when she wasn't ready to nap. So it would take absolutely forever to get her to sleep. She would then wake up after one sleep cycle. So we all go through sleep cycles during the night and babies during the day between, you know, during their, if they're doing a longer nap. So they go through sleep cycles and she was waking up after one sleep cycle. And I'd be like, oh, my God, you know, I spent an hour trying to get her to sleep. And then she's woken up after half an hour or 40 minutes. Um, And then I'd just be devastated. I'd think, what am I doing wrong? So my routine was off. The timings were off. And I didn't really realise that. But more importantly, it was how she was settling. Now, I just thought you just do whatever you do to make a baby settle. And in some cases, yes. In some cases, you might feed a baby to sleep and they might sleep all night. But I call those unicorn babies. It's very, very unusual. Most babies, once they get past the newborn stage, past the fourth trimester, I call it, need in some way to learn how to be in their sleep space and how to get themselves asleep from awake. Um, We're all born with the inherent ability to sleep, but somewhere along the line, we need to learn what it is to, to go to sleep from being awake. It's very confusing for babies or for anyone to fall asleep in one location and wake up somewhere completely different. So one of the things that the body does is protect ourselves when we're asleep, because when we're in a deep sleep, we're in quite a vulnerable position. So looking back to evolutionary development, we developed to have these these what I call safety checks between sleep cycles to check. Is everything okay? Can I go back into a deep sleep? This happens when we're coming into a light sleep between the sleep cycles. The body will perceive a change. And if something has changed in our environment, that signals to the body, okay, we can't go back into a deep sleep because we're not safe. So then we'll wake up fully and signal to our caregivers potentially. Now, if a baby knows where they are and nothing's changed, then in theory, they might look around, they might wiggle around, do something, and then turn over and go back into a deep sleep. So how they fall asleep and with Daisy that was really really important I had no idea but actually what I'd been doing is she might show the tiniest sign of upset or making a noise and I rushed to her and thought oh my god you know I need to protect my child you know she can't even she couldn't even like make a whimper before I was 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 hugging her and I mean that's okay like I said it's it's you know you have to do what's right for you But I was stopping her from having any experience of even being in her cot, in her sleep space, 
just being okay, just chilling out. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense when you say it. And I think especially when you're a new mother um, and it's the early days, it's the the kind of inherent tendency for us to kind of rush in there and placate. But as you say, often that can make a rub for our own backs. And you also also said, you know, talked about the kind of fourth trimester, which I think is just so true. Um, Yeah. that's a question that actually a lot of people have is when do when is it in your opinion the right time to um start sleep training a baby when is it the kind of you know right time to even think about you know building a routine do you do it based on the baby's weight or is there some other way that you kind of try and figure out the right time where you should start helping a baby to develop these kind of skills yeah sure so first of all the weight thing I just want to address that that's a myth there isn't a certain weight unfortunately um we can't say you know at a certain weight they will be able to sleep through there's it's not the case but what I believe is from the very beginning we can set up good sleep foundations so foundations to get good sleep as they grow so we're not talking about sleep training but we're talking about setting up a really good sleep environment even from newborn um and i would be from very little looking at awake windows so for example a newborn can only really be awake about an hour an hour and a half before they get really tired and they need to sleep so one of the things that many of us do is we just carry on with our normal lives and we just wait till they start crying and then we try and do something but actually if you look at their sleepy cues and you start kind of studying them and looking at the clock and thinking oh actually um they've been awake it's coming up to just over an hour and then they're looking like they're fussing a little bit that's when you try and settle them before they get to the point of hysteria and then they will end up relying on you doing loads of different things to try and get them to sleep so it is forming sleep associations we call them but I don't like people to get too worried in the early stages because it is very normal for babies to fall asleep while they're feeding or you might be holding them and I want people to be able to enjoy cuddles and things like that and the lovely newborn haze but there are things if you did want to get started like having a nice dark room so at night time one of the things we often do is we'll turn all the lights on at, at feeds I recommend having an amber reading light because amber light doesn't affect our sleep the same way blue and white light does um and that's another thing we can go on to light really really affects our sleep for all of us but as new having a newborn and being a mother in the postpartum period it's really important that we protect our sleep um during that time so really we want to be having a settled night between those feeds rather than baby or mum being awake for ages between those feeds in the night so setting up a really really good sleep environment is key to teaching babies essentially how to sleep from the beginning also if you're up for it it's about practicing putting them down awake or practicing putting them down down drowsy now with newborns I'm not talking about letting them cry or anything like that but it's just seeing what happens and sometimes people are really really surprised that from quite early on they are able to do it. Now, if you haven't done that, I do think you can start some kind of, I guess, formal sleep training. But I don't like to call it that because there's so many interpretations of what sleep training is. Um, and different 
sleep consultants or sleep experts might have a different method um, or people might interpret that method in their own way differently. But I call it sleep teaching. So sleep teaching, I tend to do one to one from six months old. Um, the reason is there's many reasons. Number one, um, medical issues have likely been diagnosed. So if there's any allergies, um, if they've got reflux, hopefully that would be under control, those kind of things. Um, also, six months is a good time if you're ready to maybe move them out of the room with you. So safe sleep guidelines are to keep them in with you for the first six months of their lives. And that's to protect, protect against sudden infant death syndrome. Um, so six months is a good time to do that. And also six months is the time when you might find that with feeds and maybe introducing solids, you have sort of worked yourself into some kind of rhythm with your baby anyway. So you're starting to naturally have a bit more of a routine. So six months, I think, is a really, really good age to start. If, you've, if you're in a bit of a mess and you think, actually, we need to sort this out and really take positive action, six months is a good age. However, gentle sleep teaching and practicing of sleep skills can start at any age. It's interesting that you, um, you know, talk about their own, like looking at their own cues. And obviously at the beginning of this, you were talking about how you had kind of imposed a routine on Daisy rather than the yeah. other way around. So yeah. when you are, um, because I think, you know, human nature, as many of us like to have routines. So is is your kind of is one of your learnings that actually when you're starting to think about a routine is you kind of watch their cues rather than impose a kind of top down routine like maybe you can talk a little bit about that yeah i mean in our courses so we have we do have a course for naught to 5 months in that we give a suggested routine for about 4 to 5 months old because they start working towards a typical kind of day um but at the younger end of the scale, we are definitely looking at awake windows and how long your little one is able to comfortably stay awake. Now, awake windows are affected by many things. If they're waking up multiple times at night, they are going to be more tired the next day than a baby who is sleeping more having a more settled night's sleep but generally looking at your baby's awake windows is really really helpful when we get to six months and onwards there are kind of typical routines that I tend to look at um, they tend to work for many babies however it's a case of tweaking that for the particular baby so some babies for example I call them high sleep needs babies might be napping for much longer periods than a baby who was your average um, sleep needs baby so, for example, at six months, they might doing, be doing a morning nap of half an hour or they might be doing a morning nap of an hour, possibly even longer, depending on their needs. They might be doing three naps. They might be doing two naps. But it's looking at the individual and working out, putting all the pieces of the puzzle together. Um, so routine. I do believe there's kind of a typical routine that really works. I like to actually, I generally stick to certain meal times because I think they really, really work. So you want to be doing sort of after they wake up in the morning, um, a nap. Well, I'd be doing breakfast about an hour after they wake up, if they've had their milk when they first wake up, an hour after. And then a nap generally would come about two hours after they've woken. But again, that might depend, it depends on the age as well, the age and the stage and the baby in question. So routines are great, but you need to kind of tweak them to suit your baby and also keep up with it. So you might have something that works really, really well when your baby's six months. And then when they're eight months, it's gonna change because their sleep needs will, will develop 
and they might not need naps that are quite so long or the nap time might move a little bit. Um, there's lots of things going on. Actually, on that question, because obviously, you know, this is a, a very common one that comes up as the baby gets yeah. older. Um, you know, you inherently need less naps. So whether it be at kind of, you know, six months or a year, they drop that first morning yeah. nap, whether it yeah. be at three years old, they drop the lunchtime nap. And yeah. I know, as you said, everyone's individual, but what are, um, what are some of the signs that you think to watch for for your own baby that maybe it's a sign that they're moving on to the next stage? So some of the kind of typical things that you see. Yeah, sure. So, for example, if we were looking at dropping the morning nap, the first obvious sign is they stop settling for it. They're fighting it. Um, generally, babies who are quite comfortably able to settle themselves will just be in their cot babbling away. They might be rolling around. They might be blowing raspberries, that kind of thing. But they're doing that for quite a long time. Normally, they might go to sleep in sort of five to 10 minutes and it's coming up to half an hour and you're thinking, oh my gosh. And then they start getting annoyed. Then they'll start shouting and potentially start crying. So you'll know because they won't settle for it. Um, and then you've, your whole day is kind of impacted. Um, the other thing is they might settle for it but not sleep as long as they were before. So they might settle for it, but start, start waking up from that nap earlier because they've actually filled their sleep tank enough that they're like, the body realises, okay, I'm done. I don't need any more of this. Um, that's the morning nap. And it, really, it's similar with all of them. Those are really the two main things. But when it comes to these kind of later naps in the day, for example, if you're looking at a toddler who's a three-year-old who's ready to drop the nap completely you might find that they resist the nap um or as i said they do it but then they don't want to go to bed at night because when we go to sleep at night something called sleep pressure needs to build in the body in order for us to go to sleep this is the case for all of us and if that sleep pressure hasn't built because they've had a nap um too long or too close to bedtime um, then they will fight going to bed um, and actually with younger babies who are still doing three naps, the third nap is a common cause of this. And interestingly, not only will it cause them, if they're doing it and they don't really need it, to not want to go to bed, it can cause them to wake early in the morning. So it has this weird knock-on effect that it will affect the next day. Um, or it can cause night waking that wasn't there previously. So there are actually loads of things to look out for. Um, but generally, if your baby's sleeping really, really well, and then all of a sudden that something goes goes a bit wrong, um, then definitely looking at naps and progressing. And just also thinking, you know, we've been doing this nap schedule for a few months now and it's all gone a bit wrong. It's probably time to move on. Yeah, it makes absolute sense. And then on the flip side, um, there's, and, and this is based on nothing, by the way, other than listening mm. to lots of other people. But um, I often see comments um, on things like chat rooms when people are saying that their child is waking up too early in the morning. Mm. The typical feedback that seems that seems counterintuitive in a, is, in a way is to put them to bed earlier. And actually, if they are waking very early then it could be they're going to bed too late now is there any truth in that in your opinion because it's something that seems to come up all the time on on chat rooms and forums and it does seem in a weird way counterintuitive but I don't know if it has something to do with overtiredness or so so what's your view on that um, yes absolutely that can be a cause there's a number of things that can cause early waking but that's definitely one of them the reason is when we get overtired if we're putting our little ones to bed too late 
we've missed their ideal window for bedtime cortisol our stress hormone raises in the body um, and that when when we get overtired then that's raging through the body and that can cause night waking and early waking um, but there's loads of other causes of early waking and it's kind of working out which is the reason for your little one um, I would be looking to cover off first of all sleep environment so have you blacked out the bedroom um, one of the things as I mentioned earlier that's really really affects our sleep is light and this time of year in the UK, um, it's getting really light early in the morning. So you want to black out that room. And when I say blackout, I mean pitch black. Um, we really, really benefit from it. And toddlers, babies, all of us actually are really sensitive, even to a small bit of light coming in. So that could be causing early waking. The other thing I'd be covering off is, are they too hot or too cold? Have you got the right um, pyjamas or sleep suit or grey bag or whatever it is they're wearing? Have you got the right things on them? Um also, are they truly self-settling at bedtime? So I see this a lot with babies where, for one reason or another, they actually sleep through the night quite well in spite of them relying on something that a parent does at bedtime. But during those early hours of the morning, so we're talking like half four, five a.m., which is a typical early waking time, um, the body's in a lighter stage of sleep. Melatonin, our sleep hormone, that's been high during the earlier part of the night has now dropped off and cortisol which is our stress hormone interestingly is actually the hormone that wakes us up in the morning so cortisol is starting to raise in the body to prepare us to wake for the day so when they stir around half four five a.m it's a much harder time for anyone actually to get back to sleep than it would be earlier in the night also there's much there's hardly any sleep pressure left so a baby that's that settles with adults um, assistance at the beginning of the night sometimes in those early hours of the morning although they've slept through they suddenly can't do it because they're looking for that same assistance so if I don't know they're fed to sleep rock to sleep you sit next to the cot holding their hands whatever it is they're stirring at half four five and they're looking for whatever that input was so that's one cause and then again the other cause is putting them to bed too late or sometimes putting them to bed too early so some people unfortunately it seems very confusing as a parent sometimes so you think oh I'll put them to bed earlier and that might work I'll put them to bed later that might work but actually it's it's looking at the whole picture and, and trying to work out whether you put them to bed earlier or later if they're going to be overtired or undertired because undertiredness will do the same thing so it's it's finding that right balance and the last thing that really I find really does affect early waking is naps. So this is the other thing. If your little one is still doing a morning nap when they don't really need it. So age wise and stage wise, they've kind of moved on from it. This can cause early waking in itself. Or you might have one day where they've woken a bit up a bit early. So you give them a morning nap that's a bit longer or runs a bit earlier. And that actually reinforces the early wake because your, your little one's body sees that almost as an extension of nighttime sleep so the body will continue to wake up earlier and earlier because it knows okay we're going to go back to bed x hours later so it does, does that make now sense? There, of course as you say there are a lot of um different options so as a parent yeah. is it simply a case of just experimenting trusting your instinct like how do you know um what how would you approach that Okay, so 
if I was looking at it as a sleep expert, because I've seen so many scenarios, I can pinpoint it quite quickly. Your average person, you need to look at your little one's whole day, look at their age and then experiment. So if you're going to experiment, you need to be consistent with it across a number of days, possibly weeks before you might see a result and um, before giving up. Because many people say, OK, tonight I put them to bed later. It didn't work. OK, the next day I'm going to put them to bed earlier. That didn't work. The next day I'm going to change the nap. And you have to choose one avenue and really pursue that avenue before you give up and say this hasn't worked. And I think this is this is a real um, issue for many of us that we try all different things, but we're not consistent with any one thing. And then you end up in more of a muddle. So you need to choose your path and then follow that path for a good amount of time before you give up. And, say and, and by worked. a good amount of time, I know this is hard to kind of pin down. You'd say it. Oh, it's so hard. It's at least a week, maybe. Or yeah, I'd say a week is a week is a good indicator as to whether something's worked. And one of the things I always say to people is something you do one day might not actually take effect the next day so many of us will try and work out a pattern we'll say we did this today and then they did this at night we did this you know you need to look at it across a period of a few weeks and um, you might need to wait to see the results of your hard work I mean some people there might be something that just clicks and they solve their sleep issue in one day I've seen that but many many people take a lot longer um, and those who are working on an entire sleep plan and trying to solve solve sleep that's been a complete mess that might take a few weeks and I think people need to be prepared that it does take work and especially if you're going down a gentle route um, and you're making very slow gradual changes there's going to be a slow gradual result as well so which makes absolute sense actually so coming yeah. back to this whole notion of self-soothing that you talked about because yes. um, a lot of people and I know as you said before uh, it's what works for the individual but um, a lot of people can end up getting inadvertently, you know, saddled with always having to rock the baby or so are there mm. any, you know, ways of helping your baby self-soothe without helping them, if you see what I mean? So I don't know, you know, yeah. what your views are on dummies or pacifiers. I know um, they're recommended in the very early stages, but how mm. how do you kind of go about approaching self-soothing as a parent? Okay, well, there's two things there. We'll just cover off the dummies first. Um, so dummies, I think, if they are working for you, they're fantastic. They're really good for premature babies and teaching them to suck. Um, and they're great for babies with reflux. However, they're not necessary for all babies. If they're helping you, brilliant. If they're hindering you, they need to, you need to just get rid of them. So some people end up in a situation where they're doing what I call the dummy run, where they're in, out, in, out all night replacing the dummy because the baby's not able to do it. Perhaps they're too young. And as I was talking about stirring between sleep cycles, they're stirring and they perceive a change because the dummy's fallen out and they need you to put it back in. So that's when I think it's good to take it away. Um, and that's when we, we move on to how do we teach them to settle. Um, but some babies, older babies, are able to replace it themselves. And if you want to keep it, then I would just put a few dummies around the cot and let them find it themselves. Um, the NHS guidelines are to get rid of dummies by about 12 months. Um, there's lots of different reasons. Um, speech development being one of them. Um, 
but really it's an individual choice. So moving on to teaching them to settle. So babies are able to sleep. As I said, we're all born with the inherent ability to sleep, but we form sleep associations and sometimes those can be quite hard to break. And there's, as I said, there's nothing wrong with it. If it works for you and you are happy to feed your baby to sleep, that is brilliant. But if you're finding that it's unsustainable for you and your baby, that's when you need to look at a, a different method of how we get them to sleep. Now, in terms of actual hands-on methods of what do we do, as I said, you before you embark on any kind of sleep teaching, I would want to know that your sleep environment was great, your routine was great, and then I would start at bedtime. So at bedtime, you have biology on your side because we've got high sleep pressure, melatonin, our sleepy hormones really high, and our bodies really, really want to go to sleep. So the body's working with you at this point. So that's where, if you're introducing any change, so getting rid of a dummy or trying to put them down in a different way to what you normally do, that's when I would do it. Now, it well, I was just going to say, well, I think you're going to come on to it, actually, because it, it is something, yeah. the dummy thing and getting rid of that. And uh, many, many people go through this thing because the, the child yeah. has become, you know, it's, it's had its sleep association with a dummy. So what do you do when you are removing that dummy? So do you re- introduce something new in its place or how do you go from there? Um Well, it it depends on the age of the baby. If they're over six months, then I would introduce a comforter. So a small toy or piece of material or a muslin or something that they can cuddle and hold. So babies are very tactile and they like to hold things. Um, If they're under six months, then I wouldn't be introducing anything like that because it's it's not safe to have anything in the cot. Um, An older child, we would be looking at... um, maybe talking to them about the dummy fairy things like that all right yep i've heard about that so the dummy is a good one actually because for many babies and children it can be the sleep association as you said and maybe that works for a while but how do you actually move on for that do you switch in do you use something else um uh, to help them associate sleep How, how would you approach that Um, So it depends on age. So with a baby over six months, um, I would definitely be introducing a comforter. I love comforters. So a comforter would be a small soft toy or a muslin or a piece of material um, that you introduce to your little one. So each sleep time you would put it in their hands. Now, if a baby is not used to one, the chances are they will either chuck it across the cot or ignore it the first few times. But if you're consistent with it, then quite often we see after a couple of weeks, all of a sudden they're holding on to it. They're cuddling it. They're putting it next to their face, that kind of thing. And that can help move away from the dummy. So introducing a comforter is really, really key. Um, there are occasionally little ones who just won't take to one. And, and don't worry about it if they don't. You still can get rid of the dummy. So the key with any change is starting at bedtime and being prepared. There is going to be upset. So it's working on a strategy that you feel comfortable with, that you feel is right for your baby. Um, But we're working at bedtime, as I said, with sleep pressure, with um, high levels of melatonin. It's a really good time to introduce change. So taking away a dummy, for example. So you'd put them to bed without the dummy. The chances are they might cry. They might not. They might surprise you. And then you work on a settling method that you feel comfortable with. And there are loads of different variations of this. Um, so it's work, It's finding one that you feel 
um, chimes with you and your your belief system and also the personality of your child. So some babies are far more chilled than others. Yeah. So what are some of your favorites? Maybe some of the favorites you would use for a chill baby versus a baby yeah. who's a bit more highly strung, shall we say, like my son. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so for a more chilled baby and really their personalities do show really, really early, I believe. For um, sure. And I think I, I think I would practice putting them down saying the night I love you, giving them a kiss and trying to leave the room and seeing what they do. Um, it might be that they shout. It might be that they cry for a, a couple of minutes. And I really, really believe it's absolutely fine. And the evidence shows us that leaving them to cry for a short period of time is not going to damage them psychologically. It's not going to do anything else. As long as you know that everything else is in place, I think it's okay to leave them for a few minutes. Now, it's up to you to interpret your little one's cries. And if I think if they're sounding like they're distressed, then I'd return in and I would choose a method to comfort them. Now, again, they're all different. So some of them will like a hand on the chest and a shh, shh, shh. Others will get annoyed with that. So it's kind of working on that. Um, if you have a baby that's uh, more sensitive, then you could not ever leave the room. Um, but the key is with any baby or any child, if they're calm, you're out of the room because the ultimate aim is that when they fall asleep, at that moment that they fall asleep, you're not there. So that when they go through their sleep cycles and they stir in the night, they're not expecting you to be there and they're not wondering where you are. If you're going down a more gentle route, again, there's so many different variations, but it might be that you sit next to the cot with your hand on them. Um, if you're going really, really gentle and you're trying to break an association like, I don't know, rocking them to sleep, the first night you might not rock them to sleep you might hold them to sleep and do that for a few nights and then once you've stopped doing that you might lay them down and have your arm across them for a few nights until they fall asleep then you for another few nights you'd have your hand next to them and then you'd gradually gradually move out of the room um there's lots more detail that i'd put into any of these kind of plans um but it's working out where you think your baby kind of sits on the scale and where you where you feel comfortable as well some people you know i've met mothers who have postnatal depression and they say do you know what I'm really really I don't have the emotional um capabilities to sit in that room for like two weeks trying to sort this out so I am going to leave because the feelings that it's conjuring up in me when my baby's crying are too stressful for me to be there in which case it's fine you can be out of the room a lot more than you're in the room um for those who are like actually my baby it feels like my baby's really sensitive We've been co-sleeping, we've been feeling to sleep for a long time. I could leave them even for a couple of minutes sounding distressed. So that's when you take a more gentle route. And this is where I, I think that I'm quite different to other sleep consultants because many of them will take one or the other approach. There's loads of really strict um, people out there. Perhaps it's more the old fashioned style where it's, you know, really traditional controlled crying. So you literally leave them for five minutes then six, seven, eight minutes and you work your way up regardless of what they're doing. There's even people out there who will say you put them down at seven, you shut the door and you don't go into the morning, which I don't think is right. I think that approach is, isn't right for anyone because we need to still be responsive. Um, and you don't want your baby not calling out to you because they think you never come. Um, you, yeah, want them to, definitely. you want them to call out if there's a genuine problem um, mm. rather than just thinking, you know, I'm in a prison and I'm not allowed to ever, you know, 
say anything or it, with older ones when people say right if you don't if you get out of bed I'm going to shut the door and we're not opening the doors till the morning it's horrible well as know? an adult if someone yeah. said that to me I'd be terrified it'd be horrible for sure I think yeah I think being responsive and I think as you say a lot of the science just says that it's not about having very, very cast iron hard rules. It's yes. actually how responsive we are as parents and yeah. using your intuition as a parent, which is, I guess, what you're really saying here. Yeah, and there's no, there's no right or wrong. And like you said, there's no kind of, it's very difficult for me to say, right, this is what you need to do. Unless perhaps we've spoken and I've really got into the details of, of you and your baby. And that's when I feel more like I can, you know, give, I give personalised advice. But when we're talking generally, it's about looking at the rules of sleep and the science of sleep and then the general kind of um, typical things that babies do and then trying to work out your path and trying to be consistent with it for a bit, basically. (laughs) Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. And I think the point that you make on consistency is a really important one. And I think Mm. for a developing brain, I mean, you look at all the research around things like ADHD, and obviously that's a very, very complex disorder. But a lot of the research consistently will say that actually just having a consistent, stable, predictable background environment and not lots of chopping and changing and instability and I think I think I still think that that works from an adult perspective as well so it makes a lot of sense now um you mentioned earlier about which something I completely agree with that babies have very strong personalities from the beginning and so in your experience with all the babies you've seen and all the consultancy Mm. you've done do you think there are just inherently babies who are just better sleepers than others? Is, is that your experience? Or do you think your sleep teaching can actually work um, and make any kind of baby in the end a better sleeper? Um, I think that any baby, we can look at improving sleep. But I do think, yes, I do think some babies are just better than other, better sleepers than others from very early on. So we get babies that are more likely to signal to their parents than others and by signaling it might be crying out shouting out um and that is just something that they're born with but I do think in any situation we can improve a sleep situation um so that might be you know if you have numerous night wakings might be reducing those night wakings um it might be improving naps but it might not be perfect and this is the thing, we all strive for perfection and we all, you know, a lot of it depends on what your goals are, but it's not always realistic to have a baby that sleeps solidly seven till seven and does their naps like clockwork. Some of them will do that and some of them with sleep teaching will learn those skills and you'll think, oh my gosh, this is amazing. But there are babies where it's not quite perfect and it does take them a bit more time. Which makes sense because we're all yeah. different as adults as well. Now, exactly. um, What's your view on things like swaddling um, and things like, say, the kind of noise machine? I know kind of you and the sheep is, is yeah. always like recommended to yeah. people. So and I guess those could be seen. Well, I guess the swaddling thing is slightly different. But um, would wow. you say that the kind of noise machines, that's also a kind of sleep association thing? Like how much do you use kind of tools like that? Um, so swaddling first of all I think is really good for newborns not all of them like it but majority it's really really helpful because it helps control their morrow reflex which is the startle reflex so if you've ever seen a baby they kind of throw their hands up and they startle and they can startle themselves awake 
bearing in mind if they're newborn and they've just come out of the womb as well they're used to being squashed up in the womb and not really being having much room to move so I think swaddling is really really helpful you must follow safe swaddling guidelines um all safe sleep guidelines I head over to the lullaby trust which is the baby sleep charity and they are brilliant they have everything if anyone's listening and they're unsure swaddling's great but you need to stop swaddling by the time they can roll so you do that gradually by I would generally like um, release one arm for a few nights, release the other arm for a few nights, and then you take the whole thing off. Um, so swaddling's great, but that's kind of just for the early days. Um, white noise machines. I think white noise is fine. And again, it's very useful for newborns because you're um, replicating the conditions of the womb. So the heartbeat that they've been hearing, um, like the whooshing and the shushing of the, the blood um, going through the placenta, all these kind of noises, this is quite familiar to them. So it's helpful. Um, also, if you have like a noisy home or if you have a dog that's going to bark when the postman postman knocks mid nap when your baby's coming into a light sleep and it might startle them awake. Um, so that's when it's really, really good. There's no with white noise. There's no cutoff of when you should stop it um, or you shouldn't stop it. Lots of adults use it. So I always say to people, don't worry too much about it. If you want to try and get rid of it, you just gradually turn down the volume over the course of a few days and see what happens. And if, if sleep goes out the window, you turn it back on again. But the white noise machines that you get, I think um, some of them, they've actually changed the models so that you can have them on all the time. But the key thing is that you do have them on consistently for the entirety of your little one's sleep. So the older version, and there's some others on the market, um, only stay on for 20 minutes. So I say to people, it's pointless. <laughs> yeah, because then as soon as they stop, then the baby wakes. Just as yeah. It's probably getting to sleep. Yeah. And there's another one out there that has a sleep sensor. So um, when the baby stirs, it will come back on again. But actually, in my opinion, that's already too late because you need it to be on before. And also, it's very normal and common for babies to, to stir between sleep cycles. And what might happen is the white noise is off and it's completely silent they start wriggling around and then suddenly a noise comes on. So that could actually wake them up. So if you are going to use it, just get like a really standard basic white noise machine from Amazon. They're not very expensive. You can get one that's designed for adults or you can get an app for your iPhone or an iPad or something and have that on if you want to use it, but it's not essential. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And funnily enough, one of my very close friends, we always uh, mock her because uh, whenever we go traveling with her or anything like that, she brings the, what she calls the dream machine, which brings oh, yeah. me on to my next question, yeah. though, which is your foray into adult sleep. Now, yeah. as you and I discussed, it's something, uh, the science behind adult sleep um, and its impact on hormones and even on fertility, particularly male fertility, is something that we've done a lot of work on here yes. at The Journey. And actually, you know, personally, I'm really passionate about it. I spent nearly 15 years in investment banking and I obviously got no sleep during those yeah. times. And it is it, it's, it's really, really hard. It's hard from a mental health perspective. It's hard physically. It's hard for kind of weight purposes. Everything it has a knock on effect. Mm. But I don't know about you, but it seems to me that nowadays, um, you know, sleep is wrongly seen as a luxury and I think personally that's wrong I think sleep is a basic necessity and as you also mentioned you know we're also surrounded by this white light this blue light which we know again from science will just simply suppress 
melatonin, yeah. which is obviously going to make it harder. So what made you want to go into dealing with adult sleep and how can you kind of characterize your broad approach as to how you would deal with, you know, helping adults get better sleep? Obviously, it's probably a little bit different than uh, yeah. getting a, a, a baby of a few months old to sleep. Yeah. So the reason that we decided to come up with the adult sleep course is because we've helped so many well, actually, in the thousands with our online courses as well, thousands of parents with their little ones sleep. And what can sometimes happen and what I'm I'm hearing from people is we sorted out our little ones sleep and we thought that we would then sleep all night. But actually, we now aren't sleeping very well. Um, and as you said, I don't like the way that sleep is seen as something decadent to work on. You know, you don't hear people say like boasting saying you know I, I went to bed really early all of this week I've made I'm really working on my sleep you know you hear people saying oh I hardly got any sleep I've been working so hard you know so we want it to be I want it to be normal and I want it to be something that people spend time on um so with my team of experts uh, we've come up with a really really good online course so we've been looking at we in the course we look at um sort of how we sleep why sleep is so important um I've got Dr Cleo Williamson who's a clinical psychologist who's actually a sleep consultant with me on my team but she does a really really interesting piece about um what the kind of our thoughts and controlling our thought process around sleep um and I also got a meditation expert to come on and give meditation tips um and well some some practices that people can do um my brother-in-law um dr robert davidson he's a gp he comes on and gives some information as well so really i've drawn on the expertise of other people as well as well as my information about sleep and come up with just some ideas and some ways that people can come up with a strategy for their own sleep but really a lot of the the sleep information is is transferable from from babies and children to adults as well and like you said it's controlling light it's so so important for adults even more so than children because we are glued to our phones especially during um this strange period in our lives at the moment we are staying connected via social media um via our devices so to put that down ideally i say two hours before bed um it's quite hard um, we have televisions going as well, and that's the same light as well. So in an ideal world, but we have to be realistic. In an ideal world, we'd be, you know, reading by candlelight from as soon as, we, <laughs> as soon as dusk breaks. But, you know, that's not necessarily realistic, but it's trying to um, control our screen time, but also learning to unwind and learning to connect with ourselves and um, managing anxiety is really, really important because anxiety has such an effect on our sleep well I mean yes there's just absolutely no two ways about it and I don't think there'll be a single person listening who will not have experienced that at some yeah. point now you also say about the kind of realistic nature of like especially in these times at the moment of mm. kind of staying away from blue or white light what's your view on some of the glasses that are out there that allegedly filter away some of the blue light do you think they're effective I mean, I haven't actually looked at any studies on them and any I haven't seen any evidence that they work. What I would say is don't waste your money. Just don't just put your phone away when you go to bed. Yeah, have yeah. go to bed with your phone in a different room so you're not tempted to look at it. Be strict with yourself and say, Do you know what I'm doing this for myself and for my family? I'm going to step away from the screens. Maybe you start off gently and you say, Right, 
half an hour before I go to bed. I'm not going to look at anything and then build it up to an hour. And maybe then maybe you might find actually feeling much more relaxed. This is really nice. Like I'm enjoying not being stimulated, but it's not just the screens. It's also what we're watching. So if you're watching an exciting movie or uh, something scary, um, it's going to stimulate the flight or fight response in our bodies and then we get adrenaline and we get cortisol rushing around our bodies and then we wonder why we can't sleep um so no uh, no die hard before bed then (laughs) yeah and this is a real problem for teenagers actually because a lot of them are gaming and understandably because they've got nothing else to do at the moment but they're gaming in late into the evening and when you're playing a computer game your body doesn't know the difference between um what's real and what's not so you have the same response in your body the heart's going to be beating that adrenaline is going to be pumping around the body and that's not ideal for going to sleep so it's it's also what we're consuming also looking at news and things that are going to make us anxious so if we're looking at news about um the coronavirus obviously if we're doing that just before we go to bed then that's going to be flying around our heads so it's it's the light but it's also the content that we're consuming as well I guess it's being honest with yourself about what you're doing and, and kind of yes. taking a bit of an inventory and uh, really making it is making that concerted effort to, as you say, make sleep a priority for you and for your family. Because I think there's you know no doubt that we all function better on a good night's sleep or all more tolerant, happier people for, for doing it. Now, you mm. also mentioned your online courses, and that's what I was going to ask you. So. Um, this has been super, super informative. Now, if somebody wanted mm. to get more information from you, do one of your courses, um, how, is, how is it that, you know, you guys actually work um, if someone wanted to get a little bit more from you after this podcast? Okay, so first of all, my Instagram is a great page for you to get all of our resources. So it's at just underscore chill underscore mama. And we'll on that all page, these, we'll put yeah. all these links in, by the way. But okay, yes, brilliant. thank you for that. <laughs> so on my Instagram page, I do regular Q&As. So if somebody wanted to send in a question, there's many opportunities for me to answer it, although I do get a lot. Um, we also have my YouTube channel, which is a free channel with loads of informative videos. And many people have come to me and said, I have watched that and I've solved my sleep issue without having to invest any money. Um, Then we've got the online courses, which you can find on our website, which you'll put the link up for. Um, And then we also have a section on our website where you can meet our team. So we've got about us. So we've got me and my other sleep consultants and our packages for one to one um, calls. During normal times, I also offer home visits in the London and surrounding areas, but obviously that's not happening at the moment. But we do do consultations on the phone as well. But um, at the moment, our online courses are really popular because you can do them from your own home and it's a good time to dedicate some of your time at home to, to really working on skills for your little one. Makes a lot of sense. All right. Well, we will put all of those links up on the, um, on the show notes and also in the keynotes from this. And Rosie, I just wanted to say thank you so much for Aww. your wonderful insight and talking about a subject that I am so passionate about. And I really hope, you know, in years to come, people really start kind of valuing sleep as it should be, which is not a luxury, but a necessity for our, you know, baby's growth, development, and for our kind of mental health and sanity more than anything else. So I think the work you're doing is phenomenal. um, And uh, we're really thrilled to have had you on.
and I'm absolutely thrilled to have joined you. Thank you so much for having me. I hope it was really helpful for anyone listening. Uh, absolutely. And we'll, if we get any questions, we'll send them on your way. So yeah, thank you again. Thank you so much. Bye for now. Bye. Bye.